Ephesians 1, verse 11 to 14. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Okay, we're in the book of Ephesians, I think this is part five, yeah, part five. Um, and uh, and we're, this, this section that we're in, verse three to verse 14, is really, it's a glorious poem praising God. Uh, it's a glorious poem, Praising God. If you've got it in front of you, you'll find that really helpful this morning, um, perhaps even more so than normal. Um, so I say it, it's a poem, Praising God. So look at the beginning of it in verse 3, starts with praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's got praise in the middle in verse 6. It's got praise in verse 12, and it ends in verse 14, uh, to the praise of his glory. Okay, So uh, as you read the whole thing, it's bookended with praise, and it's got praise in the middle. The idea is, this is meant to make us... It's meant to make us want to praise God. It's meant to sweep us off our feet in worship, in adoration of of what he's done and of what he will do as well. Uh, And this passage gives us three reasons to praise God. It it, it uses the Trinity as a model for praising God. So, So it says we praise God the Father, first of all, and we've looked at that a few weeks ago. Um, Why do we praise God the Father? We praise God the Father because he chooses to make people like us, people like you, people like me, rebels and sinners by nature. He chooses to make people like us his children. Not, Not just forgives us, but embraces us into his family. And it is his his plan and his will out of everything in the universe that people should be brought into his family. That's why we praise God the Father. We praise God the Son, the Lord Jesus, for redemption and forgiveness. I think that's in verse 7 or something. Um, uh, Because the Lord Jesus, as you know, died on that cross. His blood was spilled that we could be forgiven and redeemed and changed and and it talks about how everything one day will be united in worshiping king jesus like a whole of creation the whole of everything that you can ever conceive of will one day be united in worship of jesus and thirdly, we praise the Spirit, and that's where we got to today, and that's what Hannah read to us, those last couple of verses, 13 and 14. Um, and now the, the book of Ephesians has got a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, let me just see if I can get this to work properly. Right, okay. So I've got nine reasons today, nine things the Holy Spirit does for us uh, who, uh, that helps us, that gives us reason to praise him, to praise God. Now, my intention was to unveil these to you one at a time, but unfortunately, it turns out the technology won't allow me to do that. 
So they're all on the screen for you, apart from the last three, which we'll come to. So first of all, um, if you've got a Bible there, open it, would you? Um, verse 17, chapter 1, verse 17. The Spirit opens our eyes to spiritual reality. There it is, top right. The Spirit opens our eyes to spiritual reality. Listen to this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Okay, so what does the Spirit do? He reveals truth. He reveals truth. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, if you want to know him better, if you want to understand the Bible, um, then you need the Holy Spirit. That's his job. That's what he does. And of course, do you know the word regeneration? Like the theological word regeneration. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He brings you to life in the first place. And what do I mean by that? So, um, some of you I know here became Christians when you were very little. Okay, you've just grown up in church. And there wasn't a time you can remember when you weren't a Christian. But probably for more of us, there was a time when you weren't interested in God. It was a time when you didn't pray, when you didn't want to read the Bible, and you certainly didn't want to hang out with a bunch of Christians. Um, but now, you find that you do pray quite naturally. You know, on the way to work, or when you're in trouble, or when something's going well, you naturally want to give thanks for it, and you read the Bible, and you maybe don't understand everything, but you find you do understand some of it, and you feel like God is speaking to you, and you find that you actually do love these people, inconceivably. <laughs> you find that you love Christian brothers and sisters. And what's happened is, you were spiritually dead, and now you're spiritually alive. And who did that? The Spirit did it. The Spirit revealed spiritual reality to you. Okay, that's the first one. I'm going to need some water. Can I just have a little bit more volume, guys? I feel like I'm struggling. Can someone go get me some more water? Thank you. The trials of two services. Um, <laughs> uh, second one, right. Um, he makes... That's better, isn't it? Now you can hear me. Right, he makes the scriptures a powerful weapon. There you go, that one there. Um, if you've got your Bible there still, um, chapter 6, verse 17. So near the end of the book... The sword of the Spirit, cheers Anthony. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How is, how is the Word of God like a sword? You know, if you look at your Bible, it ain't very sword-like, is it? So what is it saying? Well, swords can be used to defend or used to attack. Okay? And similarly, you can use the Bible... The Holy Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, is for defending yourself against false teaching. You defend yourself against spiritual enemies. You defend yourself against temptation. And you do all those things with the Word, with the Word of God. That's what Jesus did. Do you remember um, when Jesus was being tempted out in the wilderness? What did he do? He quoted Scripture back at Satan, didn't he? Uh, and you can use the, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to attack as well. What do you attack with the Word? You attack yourself. 
<laughs> you think, what, really? In what way do I attack myself with a sword? That sounds quite dangerous. But you do. You should do. You need to learn to do that. So when, when, when you're feeling cynical, when you're feeling unbelieving, when you know you are in the wrong, what do you do? You quote scripture at yourself. You, you attack yourself with scripture and you say, come on, get it together, Mason. You know, th- this is not true. This is true. I will stand on this. And in, in all that stuff, the spirit is at work. It's not just printed ink on a page. This is alive. It makes it a powerful weapon. Powerful weapon. Thirdly, what does the Spirit do for us? Why do we praise Him? Um, Because He brings us together in unity over there. He brings us together in unity. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that um, God's plan, God's purpose is to bring everything in unity under the Lord Jesus. That's the Spirit's work. If you've got a Bible there still, chapter 2, verse 22 says, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. God is in us individually. We'll come back to that in a few moments. But he also is there collectively in his church as well. He is bringing people together under the Lord Jesus. That is the Spirit's work. He brings... I'm always blown away by the diversity of people in our church. We, you know, we've got rich and poor, and we've got black and white, and every shade of skin colour there is, and dozens and dozens of different languages, and educated people and not educated people. Just everything. God is bringing people together. That's what the Spirit does. He brings people together, and He empowers us. To live well for Christ. Where's that? There. There you go. Ephesians um, 3.16. I wonder if you ever think, like, how can I do what it is that God is calling me to do? Life is so difficult and so hard, and I just feel exhausted. And maybe for some, that might be a really big thing. Some of you got a mission week this week. You know, and you've got a lot of things on your mind and, you know, it feels massive. For some, it will be objectively perhaps smaller things. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get the ironing done today. You know, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get through today with the kids that I have. I don't know how I'm going to get through my job today. How do you do it? Chapter 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, God has got all the power you need. Pray that out of his glorious riches, he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. See that strength, the power to live for Christ, to do well, to do what he's called you to do, is from him, from the spirit of God. Him working in you. It's not, it's not just you trying to be a stronger person. The Spirit of God at work, out of His strength. And He sanctifies us. Where's that? Oh, yeah, top center. He sanctifies. Do you know the word sanctify? 
Do you know what that means? Come on, someone tell me what sanctify means. Makes holy. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. There's one example in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk, because, okay, so if you drink too much, we all know the mess that creates in all kinds of different ways. So if you drink too much, it makes a terrible mess. And that is not holy. It's not holy. It's not like God. Instead, instead, do the opposite. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't, be, don't fill yourself with alcohol. Be filled with the Spirit. And that, He will enable you to be holy. If you yield to His control, He will help you to be holy. And I, and I think you can, you could, you, that, I think it's just an example for us. Don't, be, don't, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I think that's just one example of many, many, many that the Apostle Paul could have chosen at that point. He could have said, don't be obsessed with money, instead be filled with the Spirit. Equally true. Don't be proud, instead be filled with the Spirit. Don't be short-tempered. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And if you are filled with the Spirit, you will behave in a holy way. He will help you to change, to be like Him. Don't worry about the future. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be self-sufficient. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't live life as if it's all about you. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And He changes us and makes us more holy as we come to him and ask for help in those things. He helps us to pray. Where's that? Yeah, top corner there. Helps us to pray. So what we're doing here, we're just doing a little overview of the book of Ephesians and what it says about the Spirit. Um, some of you, I, mean, I think probably the vast majority of us are Christians here today, but what a mad thing to do, hey? To speak to someone you can't see. Uh, for some of you, that's probably what you used to think. What a crazy thing these Christians do. I used to think that way as well. But when you're a Christian, it feels natural to pray, doesn't it? It just feels natural to pray. And we might have questions. We might have all kinds of questions about how prayer works and why God answers some prayers and not others. But, but at the very least, prayer does seem natural if you're a believer. Listen to this, chapter 6, verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. What does that mean, to pray in the Spirit? It's to pray in a way which is directed and empowered by the Spirit. This is what he helps us to do. So what would the opposite of that be? The opposite of praying in the power and direction of the Spirit is to pray in a way which is empowered by me. <laughs> empowered by John or Rachel or all of you. <laughs> to pray in your own kind of way. What do I mean by that? There's a kind of prayer that is just going through a ritual, isn't there? 
It's a kind of prayer that's just going through a ritual. Some of you, I think, probably have Catholic backgrounds. You know what this is like. Pray some Our Fathers and some Hail Marys and you'll be all right. I don't think that's prayer empowered by the Spirit for one minute. That's not praying in the Spirit. That's, that's praying in your own humanity. Just going through a ritual, like a good luck charm. If I say it enough times, it'll work. Or, or but um, okay, don't feel I'm picking out the uh, Catholics here. So if you're from an evangelical background, uh, you know as well that you can pray with an absolutely stone-cold heart. That's not praying in the Spirit either. You can pray in a way that is just meant to make other people think how impressive you are. <laughs> and pray using lots of big words that sound impressive to other people. And some of you are from a Pentecostal background as well. And you've seen it many times where people pray and 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 pray the same thing, the same words, because they think they'll be heard by their many words. That's not praying in the Spirit either, I don't believe. To pray in the Spirit is to, be, is to pray in a way empowered by the Spirit when your heart is in it. When, when uh, the words flow and sometimes tears flow as well. When you, and you, you definitely recognise a sense of your own humility. You understand who it is you're talking to. You realise you're standing before the throne. But instead of being told to stay away, he says, draw near. And you pray with boldness because you know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and, and you know that you come to someone who is sympathetic to your weakness and doesn't pull you up on your weakness, but instead is sympathetic and he's kind. And he says, come to me. He doesn't stand over us in judgment. He says, come to me. And when you, when you pray, recognising those things, that's when prayers in the Spirit start to flow. I think that's six things. The Spirit, one, two, three, ooh, seven. Oh, six there. We haven't done the seventh one yet. Yeah. Reasons we praise the Spirit of God. Okay, number seven. He lives in the hearts of believers. All right, so this is where we're going to get to the bit that Hannah read in just a second. So, <laughs> um, John 14. You remember um, just before Jesus was going to be arrested, crucified, died, buried, rose from the dead? Just before that, the night before, he tells his disciples he's going away. He says this, John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. What does the Holy Spirit do? He will help you. He'll help you. He'll be with you. And even more than being with you and helping you, he'll be in you. That is amazing. It's an amazing, amazing truth that God is not just a helper to us, he's not just with us, but even in us. 
And Jesus said, the world is not going to understand that. The world is not going to accept that. They won't get it. If you talk to your friends, some of you are students, if you talk to your housemates or the people on your corridor about the Holy Spirit, they're going to think you're complete nuts, aren't they? But you know he's there. Why do you know that? Because you've changed. Because something in you has changed. I'm not the person I was. I'm different. The old person is gone. There's a new person here now. There's a power at work in me that there wasn't there before. You know, in the Old Testament, um, people didn't have that same experience of the Spirit, of Him being in them. Sometimes it um, it says the Spirit came upon Samson, for example. Okay, and Sam, you remember Samson, the big strong guy, knocked, killed a load of people and knocked over a temple. Um, but then it doesn't say anything else about the Spirit after that. So the assumption, I think, is, is right, that the Holy Spirit came on him for some particular task or some purpose and then went again. And that's very much the model of the Old Testament. The Spirit comes on people for a short time and then goes again. Um, but there are various promises in the Old Testament that one day, one day, the Spirit is going to come in a very new way, in a very different way, in power. Uh, and um, th- that's why it says in verse 13, it talks about the promised Holy Spirit, that he would come and, and be in people. Come and be in people. Now, let's just be really, really clear about this, because I think sometimes Christians are very unsure about the work of the Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit. So I've heard Christians say, and maybe you have as well, that if you don't speak in tongues, then you can't have the Holy Spirit in you. I don't think that's right, and I'll tell you why in a second. I've heard people say, um, uh, if you don't look happy, you ain't got the Spirit in you. I don't think that's true. I think that's nonsense. And I'll tell you why. Because all believers have the Spirit. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a believer. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a believer. Look at this. Romans 8 verse 9. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. So if you haven't got the Spirit in you, you're not a Christian. It's as simple as that. And if you are a Christian, you do have the Spirit in you. Now, okay. So, um, and let me explain that just a second. So, so um, Ephesians chapter 2, which we'll come to at some point later this year. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about being dead and being brought to life. Okay, So you were dead, you were an enemy of God, you, you weren't interested in him, all this sort of stuff, and he brought you to life. Okay, That's the work of the Spirit. You wouldn't even be here unless the Spirit was at work in you. Okay, I think sometimes people really underestimate how much it takes to bring someone to church. Like how much it takes to make someone a Christian. It means something miraculous has happened in you to give you an interest even in spiritual things. All believers have the Spirit. But, but, this is an important but, not everybody is filled with the Spirit. Okay, so, so you might look around, don't look around this room right now because that would be really awkward, but you might think in your mind, that person, man, they've got the Spirit. Okay, they might be, some people are more filled with the Spirit than others, but if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. Okay, does that make sense? Ish. 
vaguely. Hmm. Okay. Um, when does that happen? Okay, look at verse 13 that Hannah read for us. It says, You heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed. When you believed. I think I've got that on the screen. Oh, there you go. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed, the Holy Spirit came in. You say, well, how can... How can God, how can God the Holy Spirit live in me? Like, how, how can he inhabit my heart? You know, for sure I'm not the person I used to be, but there's still plenty of bad in there. How can the Holy Spirit live in me? Well, that's right, but look back at verse 7. You know, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. There is so much forgiveness. There is so much redemption in God. There is so much grace and kindness in God. His, his, uh, his grace is unfathomably enormous. You can be completely cleansed on the inside. Now, you might not feel it. And there might be all kinds of things in your life which are rubbish still. But when, when the Almighty looks at you, he sees your sins nailed to that cross with Jesus and not belonging to you anymore. So the Holy Spirit can come and live in your heart. And you think, well, well but you don't know what I've done. You know, I, if, if, if you could see what's in my heart today, John, then you would not shake my hand on the way out of, the, of church today. You would reject me. And God sees everything. So how can he possibly, how can he possibly welcome me in? Well, it's because he's not like us. Because he's not like us. He's rich in grace and forgiveness and redemption. And his stance, his stance towards you is not stay away. It's come in. It's welcome. And look what happens when you do. When you come to him. When you hear the gospel. And you believe. Verse 13 says you were included in Christ. This is... Absolutely mind-bogglingly wonderful and amazing. Okay? The idea that when you hear the gospel and believe, you are included in Christ. What does that mean? It means you are included in the love that the Father has for his Son. It, it means that, that the Father has adopted you as his own child. It makes you a brother of the Son of God. That is mind-boggling. That is incredible. That God the Father should love you as he loves his own Son. That is incredible. Included in Christ. What an amazing thing. And all that, all that is the work of the Spirit. That's why we praise him. Number eight. Uh, right in the middle. He makes us know we belong to God forever. We live in a world, in a culture, where people are desperate for a sense of belonging. You know, that's coming out in, in one of your talks this week, isn't it? 
We live in a world where people are desperate for a sense of belonging. People want to find identity in, in anything they can, whether it's family or, or work or the music you like or the, I don't know, the films you watch or the friendship group you hang out with. This is one of the problems with that. It's so easy to lose. It's so easy to lose. It's so easy to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and be cancelled and to lose it all. I, I, was, um, I was on a Facebook group this week and, uh, from a, a band that I happen to like and someone said, uh, best album they ever did is this one. Man, you should have seen the abuse they got. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 that's not the best album. This one is, Brr, you're an idiot. You can't possibly, know, can't possibly be a fan of this band if you think that's their best album. You, you've seen it all before, haven't you? And it was like their identity as a fan of this band was ruined. <laughs> like, I know people, and maybe you know people who've lost jobs because of things they've done or said. Incomplete innocence. People who've missed out on promotions because of things they've done or said because others didn't like it. Let me show you something glorious about the gospel. All right. Second half of verse 13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. What does that mean? A seal is a permanent sign of ownership. It's a permanent identity. It can't be taken away. I belong to him. I belong to him. Friends, that is amazingly good news. <laughs> That's amazingly good news. That once you're his, you're his forever. You are his adopted child. How The God of the universe is not going to suddenly unadopt you. You are his. He will not cast you aside. Any time you want to go to him, he will hear. He will hear because he has adopted you as his own child. Once you come to Jesus, with all your sin, all your mess, all your failure, you're his. You're his. You have a rock-solid identity that nobody else can take away. Who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm a dad as well. That could be taken away. hope it isn't. It could be. I'm a husband. That could be taken away. I'm an engineer. That could be taken away. I'm a pastor of a church. That could be taken away. Everything you think of could be taken away. But if you're a child of the living God, that can never be taken away. Do you remember Toy Story? <laughs> I love Toy Story. One of the reasons I love the film is what's written on Woody's foot. The name Andy. Because Andy owns Woody. And I know that changes in the fourth film. Ignore that. Andy owns Woody. And in much the same way, when God seals someone, he says, this person is mine now. You're mine. You're inscribed with his name. A couple more verses. 2 Corinthians 1.22 God 
set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. Or this one, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. You see, the, it's the language of redemption, isn't it? It's the language of ownership. You are not your own. Why are you not your own? Because you belong to God. You're his. He owns you. He's sealed you. You belong to him. Therefore, you can't just do whatever you like with your body. You know, it matters, actually, what you do with yourself. Now, because you're not your own. You belong to Jesus. You've been, you belong to God. You've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Last one, finally. Uh, I can't work out which last one is. Oh, that one. He gives us confidence about the future. There you go. Very briefly now. Again, verse 13. You are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing what's to come, guaranteeing our inheritance until our redemption. What's a deposit? I, I very nearly paid a deposit on a holiday cottage last night. Uh, our family and another family in the church planning on going away somewhere together in August. Um, came very close to booking it until someone uh, realised that they were meant to be at work that week, which is a bit unfortunate. Anyway, uh, what we were going to do, you click that button, you pay the deposit, and when you pay the deposit, what you're doing, you're guaranteeing that you're going to get your holiday week in August, all right? How is the Holy Spirit a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance? He's a deposit because... Everything we've talked about, everything we've talked about is just a deposit. And that means there's more coming when our redemption is complete. When, when Jesus comes back, when, when he creates new heavens and a new earth and everything is renewed and refreshed and the whole of everything worships King Jesus, then that's when you get the real deal. <laughs> that's when you get all of it. And it's all coming. It's all coming. But for now, you just have the deposit. So every little experience you've ever had of the work of the Spirit in your heart, it's just a deposit. It's just a hint. Just a little tiny hint of the glory that is to come. And one day, one day, therefore, you will, you will pray better than you do now. Your mind won't be distracted like it is now. One, one day your eyes will be fully open to spiritual reality and it will be as if the blinds have been torn away and you can see the world in the way that it really is. One day you'll be perfectly sanctified and you won't battle against sin in your own heart anymore. One day, one day you won't be frustrated with your own lacklustre spirituality. One day you won't be frustrated by your stone-cold heart anymore. One day you'll have full assurance with no doubts at all. I know some, some here struggle with doubt all the time. One day, one day that'll be done away with. And you'll see as it truly is. One day you'll be living for Christ 
with no sin whatsoever to hinder you, to get in the way in any way. One day there'll be perfect unity. The unity that we have in the Spirit now will seem like just a... uh, just a, a little faint glimpse compared to the glory of worshipping together with millions and millions and millions of others and feeling complete peace and harmony and love together. Friends, there's better coming. There's better coming. Whatever experience you have of the Spirit and His work is just a deposit until the reality that's coming. So my message to finish with today is very, very simple. Hang on in there. Hang on in there. I'm going to pray. Pray and then we'll sing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work in us. Lord, whatever we've tasted whatever bit of you may be on our very best day when we've been worshipping you and just felt the presence of God with us, whatever we've had, whatever we've tasted, we long for more. We long for the future that you have mapped out for us. Well, Lord, we just acknowledge uh, that we deal with frustration Right now, we deal with our uh, uh, frustration in ourselves, our own bodies, our own minds, our own souls. We deal with frustration from other people. But Lord God, Holy Spirit, help us to glorify Jesus and keep us looking upward until you take us home. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.